Welcome to another edition of Unplugged as we gear up for round 10, a clash with the Western Bulldogs, a rematch, if you will, of the elimination final, a triumphant elimination final from last year. I had a look at the two sides selected that day and it's conceivable both teams have up to seven changes from that particular game. So it will be a very different spectacle. We look back on a very frustrating Friday night, a game in which we went in hopeful and and expectant that they might be competitive. And in the end, it went uh, pear-shaped in one aspect of the game and very well in several others. But what it led to was a very, very frustrating weekend as we clearly left four points out on Marvel Stadium on Friday night. Some good news during the week with Max King, who was obviously heavily involved in that game on Friday night, signing a four-year contract extension through until the end of 2026, which is great show of faith in the club. And I think terrific from the club and I think terrific timing given what actually happened on Friday night and the need to to perhaps get around him on the back of that. We look forward to the Bulldogs. We'll also catch up with a very recent former Saint. Shane Savage played a game for St Kilda 10 games ago in the semi-final against Richmond. We've only played the nine games since his last appearance with the club. He's now down in the Hampton League playing for Port Ferry against the likes of North Warrnambool and Caroit and teams like that. But he'll join us a little bit later on, but we'll sink our teeth first of all into the painful review of the Geelong loss 5 17 47 to 10, 8, 68. Nick, as I uh, welcome you, 86 tackles. I think they took 17 marks inside 50. And I actually can't think of a single one of those misses that should have been misses. Uh, every one of them was gettable. Um, and in the end, it cost us a game against the top four side. 100%. Yeah, thanks, mate. It's, uh, for the reminder, because that was uh, one of the most frustrating games of football that you know I, I've watched and been involved in in 35 years of watching footy and that's including you know years and years of St Kilda heartbreak and tragedy and all of that I mean how many times are you gonna you're gonna win the key metrics you know we we won clearances we won center clearances we won stoppage clearances you know we turned the ball over less we won the tackles you know we had more inside 50s Uh, we were more efficient inside 50 we're more efficient in disposal um, across the, the four quarters. We, we dominated the first three and a half quarters as well. Um, and you know, there, there really is no way that we should have lost that game. But as they say, bad kicking is, is bad football. Um, one thing I do want to say, I think in, in the, 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 the cold light of day, um, as we, we've got an intruder here, A-Rod, sneaking into the, uh, the SEN offices to to infiltrate St Kilda podcast. Get back to Hawthorne Fan TV. You he heard Shane Savage is on later and he's going to be to Hawthorne Fan TV on it. So. <laughs> Go the Saints. What a bullhead. Um, <laughs> you know, Max King, we all know, we all know that he kicked one goal six. We all know that he probably should have kicked seven straight. Um, and he gave off a, a few other ones that, that were potential other chances as well, other scoring opportunities. But you can't blame it all on him. I mean, more senior guys in the team like Tim Membry, missed gettable shots that he would normally kick nine times out of 10. Dan Butler missed some, some shocking opportunities. There was one in particular, I think in the last quarter, he tried to kick it out of the air, karate kick out of the air. That was one of the, the more shameful things that I've seen um, in a St Kilda jumper. Um, and at the time I was livid at it, but, you know, look at it and think we were, we were done by that stage. But, you know, I, I think some of the abuse leveled at Max King is unwarranted. I think all of the abuse leveled at Max King is unwarranted. It, it's all right to criticise, and, and we all know, you know, it's not good enough. But you've got to remember that he's 20, and he just tore apart one of the best defensive units in the competition. Um, 
you know, there, there's all Australians in that in that defensive unit. They grand finalists last year. Um, they're pretty good at stopping opposition scores. And you know, he had 15 touches in the forward half, 10 marks, and seven seven scoring shots, six six scoring shots, whatever. And like I said before, gave off multiple other opportunities to to other forwards. Um, he had a ripping game, except for one element, and it's you know, it's a pretty important element. Yeah, I think, um, and look, I was one, we, we have a, a group chat and, and I was particularly harsh on, on Max King on a, on a couple of occasions on Friday night due to the uh, the frustration to the game. And look, if you have your, your time again, I wouldn't have been quite as harsh in that, on that sense. I mean, I, I think, I that think we, all, up, we all were in, in yeah. that moment, you know, heat of the moment, that's, yeah. that's fine. But then you look next day and three days down the, down the yeah. line and people are still having a crack. Um, you know, it's, I think some of it was, was over the top. Yeah, even as recently as today. And look, I, I must admit the one where I got frustrated and it happens is that's just footy it was in the third quarter when he was 40 metres in the clear and the ball wouldn't sit up and he just couldn't gather yeah. it. And if he kicks this, we take the lead at three quarter time. And that was actually, I actually held it together pretty well. I couldn't get to the game. I was watching it at home, but that was the moment I threw something across the room was when, when that ball just didn't sit up and, um, yeah, it was just, it was one after the other. I mean, I, I must admit, I, I felt for most of the first half that we were probably still going to win. Like we were, we were that much in control. And generally when St Kilda settles into a rhythm of a game like that, it stays that way all day. So I thought, oh, we've let him off the hook, but we're controlling the game and we'll probably still get him. And, and obviously when it started to fade away in the, in the last quarter, that's when you get immensely frustrated, but hey, yeah, it's, um, you know, there's something about the Friday night lights. Obviously if you lose a game on a Friday night, it can, uh, it can wreck your weekend. It pretty much drags through the whole weekend and you, yeah, see other teams and who play well, you, you sort of go, well, if only we played that well. And I mean, it's not that we didn't play well, as you're saying, it was just that last little thing that just, just, makes it all frustrating you sort of you, you look back and sort of feel sorry for the the, the midfielders and defenders who've got the ball down there and they're sitting in the back and they've done their work and all of a sudden they're just watching the ball go left and right and you're thinking that oh, they're, the, they're the ones who uh have probably have the right to drop their heads early and go well, i've done my part of the job and yeah I'm, I'm not being rewarded for what i've done so it's yeah it, it doesn't just fall back onto forwards missing it's sort of affects the whole team when you look at it but just dominance in general play was crazy for the way that we lost the game it's you think you look at as nick's saying you look at all the back at all the stats and everything you look at that and go don't look at the score well that team won but yeah it's just a very very frustrating thing then that it's for the simple fact that I was away on a family holiday and if the kids weren't asleep next to me right in the next room next door, I don't think I would have held myself together as well. So it was, you know, I, you yeah. Know what, the, what the most, I think the most frustrating thing for me was exactly how dominant we were for most of the game, that we didn't even need to be perfect at goal kicking. No. We, could have, we could have kicked 9-13 and still yeah. won by 40 points because the game would have been done by three-quarter time. That's right. And all of a sudden, those last four or five that they kicked in, you know, in the last 35, it don't minutes, happen. Yeah. Doesn't matter, or, yeah. or it doesn't happen exactly. So, you know, we we could have been six goals up at halftime, and gone on with a couple more. And and like I said, didn't need, we didn't need to kick 17 five. It could no. have been it could have been nine thirteen or eight fourteen. It still would have been good enough because all that damage yeah. would have been done already by three quarter time. Yeah, that's right. I lost by a point. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, but I mean that's the thing. If the halftime score instead of being three eleven to four two was six eight, 
to four yep. two and you're three goals up, for example, or um seven seven, even you break even in that first half, which they should have done. I mean, they, they missed six set shots in the first quarter from within twenty-five to thirty-five meters, not much of an angle. You would expect to kick two of them at, at worst, maybe th- three would be a pretty bad result. But to kick none of them was extraordinary. Obviously, Rowan Marshall missed that one at the start, which was you thought, okay, fair enough. And then Max King missed the snap around the body. and then But there was also missed chances that weren't even scores. I mean, straight out of the middle in the last quarter when Hunter Clark broke two tackles and had Membry 20 metres in the clear, 20 metres away from him and kicked it over his head straight to Blitzarves, I think. So that should have been a shot at goal. Um, obviously, the one where King fumbled it and couldn't get it to Membry, that should have been a shot at goal. Um, Brad Crouch hit the bottom of the post on the siren um, at the end of the game. So that was, you know, a near miss as well. The the free kick that Gary Rowan got late in the second quarter that shouldn't have been a goal to Geelong. Um, and then the mistakes we made right at the end when uh, Dougal Howard gave away the, the most obvious deliberate of all time, when James Frawley played on and had his kick smothered, both of them led to goals. So that shouldn't have happened. Um so it's, it, was, it was an accumulation of everything. The mistakes we made, the lucky breaks they got, the mistakes we made in defence that led to their goals. So, yeah, we, we should have won the game by 40 points, as you were saying earlier. So, um, And that's what hurt, because I thought we needed to beat either Geelong or the Bulldogs. We had Geelong on toast. We lose the game and we lose Rowan Marshall for at least a month. Now we've got to find a way to try to beat the Bulldogs, So, um, which is doable, of course. But, um, yeah, it would have been nice to back. That's right. But it would, have been, it would have been nice to have that win of the two already in the back pocket so you can get a free hit at this game and knowing that you've got some winnable matches to come against the likes of North Melbourne and Adelaide, et cetera, in the, in the weeks that follow. So, yeah, it was a very, very difficult watch. I mean, without bringing up deliberate, painful memories, we, we've done that against Geelong before on a, on a far more costly stage. Um, so I guess by comparison, it doesn't hurt as much as that, but yeah, there's something about the Cats. I know we can say this because it's an unfiltered uh, program, but uh, I've never seen a team win games in fortunate circumstances as often as they do. They've been uh, kissed on the dick, for want of a better expression. Um, so be- before we get too unfiltered, what what do you guys do with Max King? Is it is it a case of you leave him in and you just accept that he's got a case of the yips at the moment and he's just going to work through it and we're going to work through it as a team and, and you get around him and you support him? You send him down to the twos for, for a week or two. Do you give him a mental rest? You give him a week off and, and maybe send someone like a like a Jason Heatley or, or someone, you know, a renowned goal kicker, sharpshooter, is a coach now. Um, do you get Jared Roughhead to just spend the week with him, just taking shots, forget everything else, and just kick goals at training? What what do you do with Max King now? Well, I think I, I tweeted out saying we need to lock out the sports scientist and who keeps saying he's only allowed to have three shots at training or whatever it is and yeah, he needs to just go down there and kick. Because I'm, from what I heard, when he was a junior, they they'd train and then he'd stay there and kick the ball for I don't know how long at goal. And yeah, in juniors, he had one one day where he kicked seven goals, eight or something. One one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he he had those days where lots of shots, but I think his percentage overall was actually very good. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's routine. And he needs to get routine right. The more you do it, the better you get at it. So it's a case of simply, I think he, he needs to keep practicing. It's it, it just looked a bit, I guess, unsure 
sometimes coming in like he, he misses the first and then sort of a bit like oh am i doing it this right or is it, it it just has that look on his face of a bit a bit bit not so sure about how he's going that night sort of thing so it's there's a lot yeah confidence get the practice right get that routine right um because uh yeah it doesn't look i guess exactly the same every time as he's coming in to kick so it's just a yeah just the matter of those sort of things just just needing to get it right yeah the confidence is a is a massive thing like it reached the point where i know he hit the post with his last shot but when he took that mark you felt like he had no chance of kicking the goal he just sort of had that feeling that he'd come in and I mean, he was lucky to hit the post. It sort of started right and drifted in. It was a looked more comfortable a miss than that. But I think his technique's reasonably easy to fix. Like he he, he comes in a bit too quickly. He tw- spins the ball around in his hands. His kicking action isn't too bad, but he sort of leans back a little bit. So I don't think it would take too much to fix that. It's not like he's got a horrible action or a horrible stance or anything like that. It's just a little bit rushed and a little bit, um, I guess, out of control in terms of the way he's sort of flicking the ball around in his hands. And um, it's interesting whether it's a case of no way you leave a player out that can take 10 marks, seven of them contested inside 50. You need players like that in your side. You can't have them running around at, at Sandringham. So um, he definitely plays, but I wonder whether the, do you take the approach of getting out there more and more and more and just keep refining the craft or whether you have a couple of, mental days away. I mean, reading Mark Taylor's book at the end of his career, he spoke about his form slump in England when he, he couldn't score a run for 12 months. And how he got a letter from Kieran Perkins, I think it was, who went through that similar thing before the Olympics and just said, mate, just put the, the bat and the pads away under the bed and go play golf, go fishing, do something else for a couple of days. Like you've been in the nets for seven hours a day trying to get your form back. Just, just put it away. Like, you know what you're doing. Just think about something else, go away, come back, clear the minds, get into it. I don't know whether the solution for Max King is have 800 shots at training or have no shots at training and just go away and clear the head and come back in and recharge. So, I mean, obviously there are people there that would know that balance certainly better than I, but but it really is interesting whether he's the the, the mental character that needs a refresh or just needs to focus and, and I guess sharpen up that skill set through repetition but um i thought it was good that brett ratton gave him a, a coach's vote as well which showed his value and i think it's really important that he signed a contract this week it's almost like the club saying mate uh, we've got faith in you long term and you know that it's a really good little message or at least a good piece of timing i'm sure that would have been in the pipeline for ages but i thought it was really good to to, to have that happen at this stage um i guess votes is a full stop on that game pretty tricky we had a few guys that played all right um H might might kick it off with you. How did you uh, work out your three, two, one? Well, I was just going to throw in if you're talking about having time off, I'm not sending him back to the golf course anytime soon. So, no, no that's true. <laughs> not with Jack. Um, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've just basically, yeah, just mentioned something. I was going to say that. I mean, I I had a look through like the highlights quickly and that sort of thing when I had the opportunity to, and I sort of looked and gone that that is actually a dominant game without beating a team. Um, and then I saw that he rats to give him one vote. And I was sort of like, so I kind of justified what I was looking at myself yeah. going, oh, look, that that sort of taking 10 forward marks and six shots of goals, that, that that's worthy of a vote every week. Um, and then yeah, Rats gave him the vote. And... Straight, he probably gets 10 coaches' votes. 
Yeah, and we win. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 and three from all of us. So I, I was ready to give them. I was, as I said, I looked at it again and was ready to read to give them the one vote. And Rats gave him the one vote for a coach's vote. And I thought, yep, that that, that justifies me giving that vote to him. Um, so I was, yeah, happy to give him the one. Um, gave the, I gave the two to uh, Jack Sinclair. I was, I was actually quite happy with what he did off the back line he um i found it we got a bit stagnant at times sometimes um it, i don't know whether that's the points where a little bit of confidence dropped a little bit or whatever but then all of a sudden he'd get the ball and he'd bolt through to midfield again and to get us movie again and he, he just he popped up in the right places and gave, gave us a good bit of movement and i was i was actually really happy with the game he played for us um as yeah, one of his probably, I'd, I'd probably put it as his best game this year. Um, but yeah, it was good to see him because he dropped off a little bit. So it's good to see him get back up and actually start doing what he was doing last year because um, we, we had really been missing that. Um, and three to, um, it was three to Brad Crouch. That's, I, I think he had a great game. Um, even that smack in the side of the jaw that, unconfirmed the reports that he's had surgery on. I don't know. I've, it's There's been whispers of and that he was going or it has gone or I haven't heard anything official yet, but to get back up after getting that, that knock and I mean, BT, I think said something like he had a hole inside of his head or something, but um, yeah, he gave us, gave us some really good movement in the middle, but um, yeah, in a day like that, that, yeah, he would have would have only got the two votes, but if Maxi kicked straight, but yeah, best on ground for us. Yeah, honourable mention to Max and to Jack Billings. I thought they were both very good. Obvious, you know, elements that weren't so good. Um, I gave one vote to Jack Sinclair. I thought his first half was brilliant. And if he'd kept going for the, the second half, that, that would have been almost a perfect game from a, a back flanker. Um, I thought the drive that he gave us in, in the first quarter specifically, but um, also in, in, the, in the second quarter as well, was, was really strong. His delivery forward was good. His hunting and attack at the ball and the man was really good. And that's sometimes a bit, of, a bit of the knock on him is that he's not hard enough at, at the contest. Uh, but I thought he was very, very good. And, and you know, if, if he'd continued that first half form in the second Half, he probably would have been best on ground by an absolute mile. Um, I gave two votes to Brad Crouch. You're right. I think that was probably his best game for the club. It was good a couple of weeks ago against the Suns. Um, but I thought this was this was better. Um, kept working all day. And like you said, to, to keep getting up after getting crunched. I think they said it was a, a depressed fracture, which, like you said, essentially means there's a bit of a hole in his skull. Mm. Uh, or his temple, wherever that was. Um, so, you know, incredible courage. Um, and, and speaking of courage, also honourable mention to, to Jack Loney, also someone who cops a bit yeah. of a, a bad rap for you know, being a little bit soft or squibbing the contest, but that's one of the one of the more courageous things I've seen on a footy field um, in a while. Um, but three, I had to give to Jack Steele. I thought he was incredible once again. He does, it wasn't his flashiest game. It wasn't his best game any standard, but he just kept doing the things that needed need to be done. He was, you know, down and dirty. He was winning the hard ball. He was winning it outside. He was kicking it long. He was getting the handball out of the clearance. He just did everything. 
Um, and it's hard to find a flaw in his game. He's probably the most complete player uh, that we've had in the midfield for, for a long time. Um, you know, very Lenny Hayes-like, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I think it's a, we, we, we could see those comparisons early days and it's starting to become more and more apparent. I gave um, you know, apologies to the likes of Sinclair and, and players. like I think Membry also took 10 or 11 marks. I know he missed some shots, but it was pretty good. Um, I gave one vote to Brad Hill, actually. I thought his ball use was, was pretty good. I think he's been in solid form for three or four weeks now since um, getting that rocket after the Port Adelaide game. So liking what he's doing. Um, I gave two votes to Jack Steele for all of the reasons stated was solid as a rock, uh, kicked a massive goal in the third quarter to lift us, um, tackles, clearances, everything. And three votes to, to Brad Crouch, who was our standout player, I think, on the course. So he and Jack Steele were, were standout players. Thought Sinclair was good as well, as mentioned. But I gave one to um, Hill, two to Steele, and three to Crouch on the day. Our next guest played 165 AFL games, 109 of them with the Saints. It is Shane Savage. Quick kick out of the pack here, trying to clear the area, but don't quite get it done. Webster couldn't track the footy. Lang gets hold of it. Gee, they've got some easy goals out the back tonight. But oh, Stevie. Stevie J was run down. Oh, he was messing around. Savage only needed a little inkling. He got him. And Stevie J thought he was going to waltz in and kick an unmanned goal. And have a look at the blast from Savage. And it's Membry with a hand to it, controlled it brilliantly. Handball missed its target, Savage has got to come in. What does he do? Oh, the oh. banana! What about that? Yes. Something special from Shane, Shane Savage. Great to be joined this week by Shane Savage on Unplugged. Played 109 games with the Saints, 165 games overall with Hawthorne and St Kilda involved in that trade at the end of 2013 with Ben McAvoy and a couple of other moving pieces that saw him come to the Saints and be a regular fixture all the way through. His last game for the Saints was actually the semi-final last year against the Tigers. Uh, Shane, thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks, boys. Thanks for me. Now, going back to that, I mean, the transition across from Hawthorne to St Kilda, you played in a grand final as a sub in, in 2012. Hawthorne wins the premiership in 2013. In your first year at St Kilda, they win the wooden spoon. I guess, what was it like adjusting to, uh, to I guess, going from a club that was flying to a club that was battling? Yeah, look, no doubt it was um, a challenging move at, at first. Um, you know, I... I'll admit my, my form wasn't the greatest, um, especially early on in the year, and I, I was struggling to sort of find my feet and adjust to the new game plan and, and working with new teammates and whatnot. But, um, you know, I thought sort of the second half of 2014, I was able to find my feet um, after moving a half back. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I thought at the end of sort of 2013, um, you know, I thought, the opportunity was probably there to to move move clubs. Um, I thought, you know, I was potentially getting a bit stale there, and um, I wanted some opportunity somewhere else. And um, yeah, Saints at the time seemed like the um, you know a really good move for me career career wise. That's a good um, a good point, Shane. Because I was going to ask you, kind of, who facilitated that move? Was was it you going to Hawthorne and saying, 
you know, I, I think I need a change or, or was it St Kilda that came knocking and said, you know, we need someone who can run and carry and, you know, kick the ball long and, and hit targets. What, what was the process through that, that off season? Yeah, it was, um, I think I initiated it with my manager and um, yeah, I was sort of entertaining some offers and yeah, the, the Saints came along and I think it was Chris Palchin at the Saints at the time. And I really got along with him at the Hawks and um and it was, I think it was Scott Waters at the time who was the coach. And, yeah, they presented really well. And um, I was really impressed with where the Saints were heading. Yes, they had a really young side. They were going through a bit of a transition. But, um, yeah, look, I thought, um, you know, it was a, a really good opportunity for me to come over there. But, yeah, at the time, like I said before, I, I just thought my career was just getting a little bit stale at the Hawks and it was a good opportunity for me to potentially move. And, yeah, I, um, you know, bring it up late with the Hawks and, yeah, initiated the move. Now, you mentioned Scott Waters. So, if I'm correct in assuming that, I think he was sacked during the trade period, actually, by the, the Saints. It was very late. So, yeah, uh, would I be correct in assuming you met with Scott Waters, signed with the Saints, and then he was no longer coach? Yeah, he, he was the one that um, ended up getting me over the line. I... Really enjoyed um, what he presented me at the time. Um, you know, when, when I went for a tour at the Saints and, um, yeah, I, I was really looking forward to coaching under him. I had no um, indication that, you know, he'd be sacked a month later. So, yeah, look, that was – it was really disappointing to hear. I was, I was in New York holidaying at the time. So, it was, it was a bit of a shock to the system. But I think their appointment at the time, Alan Richardson, um, was really good for the club. Um, and, yeah, he – I ended up playing, you know, some of my best footy under Richo. So, um, yeah, in the end, it was, a, it was a great appointment. Now, going back to the, the beginning of your career, obviously born in New Zealand and, and moved to, to Australia as, as a young kid. What was your introduction to, to AFL footy and, and how did you make that, I guess, how did you make that decision that, that you wanted to take it further? Yeah, well, yeah, look, my, my family's obviously really rugby orientated and, um you know, it was a, a game I tried to start playing when I was a junior, but it didn't quite work out. And, um, yeah, it was primary school. I think it was grade four. Um, one of my friends sort of said, you know, come down for a training session because, you know, I'd have some kicks at half at, at lunchtime. And I thought, oh, I'll like this game. So, yeah, went, went to a training session at, at St. Gerard's in, in Dandenong. And um, that's where I found my passion and loved the game ever since. And, um, yeah, and went from there. So you went reasonably late in the draft uh, in 2000, end of 2008, 2009. Um, obviously, every team in that point had, had passed on to you. Had you talked to many other teams and had, had you actually spoken to St Kilda in that period of time? Um, no, not really. I, I didn't really speak to many clubs, actually, um, in 2008. Um, I was 17 at the time, so I was, a, I was an underage sort of player at the Stingrays. I still had another year senior year, um, the year after. Um, so 2008, I didn't really expect to get drafted that year, to be honest with you. Um, I only spoke to, I think it was the Kangaroos. I, I maybe got a few letters from other other clubs expressing their interests. Um, and then, yeah, it was the Hawks that, um, you know, expressed really late interest. I didn't think anything would go from there. And, um, yeah, yeah. I think it was the draft was on the radio back in the day. <laughs> so, you know, I was, on, I was on the couch and all the names were going past and I thought, okay, look, it probably wasn't my year. Um, I'll get ready for another year at the Stingrays. And yeah, number 75, I think it was the third or fourth last one. And my name got called out and 
10 minutes later, I was, I was getting messages from Luke Hodge and, and, and Buddy Franklin and Sam Mitchell and <laughs> everything changed from there. And they were the reigning premiers, obviously, Hawthorne, uh, coming off that season in, in 08 as well. Curious, looking at your time at the Saints, so it gradually got better under Alan Richardson, so won a spoon in 14, were more competitive in 15 and, and just missed the finals in 16 and, I guess, 17. But... Was there any, I've always been curious as to whether there was any major change between 16 and 17 because the playing style adjusted a bit where in 16 they were quite attacking and high scoring and uh, got blown out a few times into state. 2017, they didn't get flogged as much, but they weren't scoring heavily. It was more dour. It was a bit more defensive. Obviously, the accuracy dropped away. Was there a concerted effort under Alan Richardson to become better defensively that might have cost us perhaps at the other ends? Um. Look, I guess that was always uh, the challenge under Alan Richardson. Um, we were always looking for the right balance in our game plan. Yeah, you're right. Look, probably 2014 to, to 16, we were probably a bit too gung-ho and, and, and a bit too sort of quick with our ball movement. And, you know, we didn't quite have that balance with our defence. But, um, yeah, I think, it was, I think it was 16, 17, sort of we just missed out on the finals and we were really starting to... Um, I, I guess it was confidence in, in the way we play um, and, and the way we can sort of compete with other clubs. Um, and I think we we're able to find that balance between our offense, but having a really good structure behind the ball um, and, and being able to defend well. And, and I think a lot of that came down to, I, I guess, personnel as well. I mean, we had a young team, sort of 14 to 16. We had a lot of good youngsters coming through and they were starting to mature and starting to really come into their... Um, their own sort of game as well. And, you know, Jack Billings, for example. Where, where did you learn to kick like you did? Because clearly, you know, you, you didn't learn in New Zealand and, and you grew up with rugby, mm-hmm. like you said. But you were known, you know, for your penetrating kick and that sort of stuff. And, and we, um, we got slammed a little bit a few weeks ago for not asking Jason Heatley, who was a, a sharpshooter, you know, how he learned to kick so straight. But how did, how did you learn to kick the ball like you did? Um. Yeah, well, I, you know, I always believe sort of my kicking has always been a, sort of a natural ability of mine. But, um, yeah, look, I was always practising after school, um, whether it was, you know, with my dad or just by myself out in the street, you know, whether it was a, a pumped-up footy, a flat footy, even a soccer ball, anything I could kick with, I would. I'd pick a target. I'd usually pick a driveway. Um, and I'd just repeat, repeat, repeat over and over again. And, yeah, I guess... It became a skill that, um, you know, I became really good at. And, um, yeah, I was, it was a sort of a weapon of mine over my career. So, mm. so 2011, you picked up a Rising Star nomination. Um, unfortunately, it was an award that looked like it was done by round one anyway, which um, <laughs> Heppel basically came around one and it was gone. Um, it was a reasonable class when you look through a few names like Jack Darling. Um, you had your... Teammate Luke Bruce, Andrew Gaff over in West Coast as well. It's, do you keep sort of in contact with the players from that sort of class of that you came through yourself from other teams, or is it just not not something you looked at too much? Or um, that, that Rising Star Award was against St Kilda as well. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I played some pretty good footy against St Kilda actually, so <laughs> I, I enjoyed some big days against them. Um, but um, yeah, look, I, I don't, I don't really keep in contact with a heap of them. I'm not going to lie, but I do like, 
you know, to every now and then have a look at my draft and have a look at the games played and um, who's played what. And, um, you know, it's, it's quite interesting seeing how, um, you know, how, how many games I've played compared to, you know, the top 20 or the guys that went top 10. So I've always been interested in that sort of stuff and looking back on sort of where I came from and, and what, how my sort of draft went and, and those rising stars as well. So 2019 was the, the first season of your career where you played every game. It was a career-high disposals, uh, career-high on averages across the board as, as well. Um, I, I guess, can you can you take us through that year? I mean, St Kilda started well. Uh, Alan Richardson had us 4-1. and one. Uh, He would lose his job before the end of that season. Brett Ratton would coach the last six games. And obviously, we know that he would be appointed long-term. But it was a tumultuous year, but, but one where you were a regular feature and, and played some of your best footy. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, like I said, it was probably a career best year and, you know, I was starting to play with some real confidence down back. I, I think, um, you know, I, I guess early on in my career at the Saints, I struggled with that balance between offence and defence, but I think from 18 sort of onwards, I really found that balance and, and sort of matured as a player. Um, I feel like I became a real leader down there. So, yeah, 2019, I, I had a really consistent year and was playing some really solid footy. Um you know, we we got off to a really good start. We're four and one. The confidence was brewing, but um, obviously, um, you know, things didn't quite head our way, and um, you know, the pressure was building at the Saints, and um, you could you could feel it from the outside. And uh, unfortunately, um, you know, the Saints decided to part ways with Richo, which was um, which was obviously really disappointing. But um, unfortunately. Um, it was a decision that the club had to make and, and yeah, they had to move on in a different direction. So, yeah, it was, de- it was definitely, uh, you know, a challenging year. But in, in saying that, I I played my 150th. Um, I played for my 100th for the club. So, you know, to be able to take my kids out into the ground, um, out in the MCG um, on, on those milestones is something I'll never forget. So, yes, as challenging as it was for the club, some of my better memories in my career was 2019. So tell us a little bit about Alan Richardson, because I think sometimes he can be a little bit misunderstood by the Saints fan community, um, especially given that, you know, that the playing style of the group in those last couple of years, but he, he always seemed a bit like, you know, that mentor kind of father figure teacher type guy. That, and those coaches are now starting to get more jobs. You look at, at David Noble and, and Chris Fagan in Brisbane and, and those sort of guys. Tell us a bit about Richo and what he was like inside the club. Yeah, I, I love Rich, Richo. Um, you know, I, I don't think he deserved, I guess, the harsh criticism he was getting from outside of the club. And it did hurt reading the comments about him because he was, yeah, like you said, he was such a father figure. Um, and he was just the type of guy that, type of coach that, you know, you could just go up to him and talk to him as a person um, and, and just have a chat about things that are not, yes, about footy, but not even footy. Um, you know, I know I, I, I would every now and then I'd go into his office and just have a chat to him. And, and that's just the type of person he was. He just cared for you, not only as a footballer, but as a, um, as a person as well. And, and I really respected that. And like I said, it was a decision the club had to make, but I was, yeah, I was really hurt to see Richo go because um, I loved him as a coach. And, yeah, I, I unfortunately believe that, you know, he didn't quite have the cattle um, over those years to, um, 
you know, to take him to where he wanted to go. But, um, yeah, I, I liked Richo. And, um, yeah, it's good to see him doing well at the, at the Demons at the moment. So when, when you came into the club at first, sort of where did you find yourself? Did you find yourself tagging? Oh. No, not on mute. Oh, there you go. Sorry. Just cut better? Out there for some <laughs> yep, all good. That's right. <laughs> um, so when you first came into the club, did you find yourself tagging along with, say, the super serious players, the revolt and some of, some of the older older players that were there or did you sort of go oh, i'm leaning more towards the younger the ones are having a bit more fun or where did you sit in amongst there um yeah look i've oh, been been a young fellow i was probably leaning towards the 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 younger sort of um players within the group i was a, a bit of a joker myself but um uh, I'm not going to lie, I sort of found um, I had the utmost respect for Rewalt and Montagna, but I, I, I really looked up to them playing. So when I first sort of came to the club, I was like, oh, well, I'm just a bit sort of, I think I feel like I need to sort of earn their respect to, to be in that sort of group. So I sort of leant towards uh, the sort of the younger um, group because I was a bit of a larrikin myself. So, um, yeah, one of my good mates, Jimmy Webster and all those boys, so. Uh, 2020, um, unique year for everybody. Uh, I guess for you personally, so you'd play just the two games. You were probably in our best four or five in both of those. I think you played against Sydney, I think it was, in the middle of the year. And then the final against Richmond where you kicked a, a monster goal to get us going in the first quarter. Uh, what was it like, I guess, living in that hub or living in that bubble and then I guess when the reality came about and lists were cut at the end of the year, I mean, I think it's fair to suggest you were a victim of the fact that lists were smaller. Had the list have remained at a normal length, you'd still be there without question. But what was it like dealing with all of that, given how difficult 2020 would have been? Yeah, it was it was really challenging. Um, you know, I'm not going to lie, it really hurt the way it all finished for me. Um, you know, it started off with the hub, you know, it was a really challenging year for, for the AFL, but, you know, it was a big sacrifice uh, the players and families had to make to, to get the game going. And, um, you know, I ended up taking my, my family up and, um, you know, we, we obviously had our challenges up there, but, you know, I, I'm really proud of how I sort of handled myself in the hub. It didn't quite go my way in terms of selection and whatnot, you know, our, our back six, seven at the time with um, Patton, Long, Caulfield, we're, we're gelling really well and playing some really solid footy. So, you know, I, I wasn't able to quite put my foot in there. But um, me, personally, I thought I was in career best form, even though I wasn't playing. I was in career best fitness. I was knocking the door down. But um, unfortunately, just the opportunities didn't quite come. Um, but really proud with the way I handled myself. Even, you know, those two games that I did play, I thought I played some solid footy. Um, and yeah, you're right, probably due to COVID, um, my, my list was lost on, at the Saints, which, um, which was disappointing. How hard was it? How hard was it week to week, I guess? You know, you're not, not selected. You're stuck in, in that hub um, and you don't really have an opportunity. You know, there's no seconds competition. There's no VFL. So w- what do you do on, on the weekend when you're not playing? You know, we saw some sometimes when you kind of have makeshift teams with, with guys from other clubs and, and that sort of stuff. What was that like? Yeah, it was tough. Um, it was just really weird. I mean, we'd the guys that didn't play, you'd have to travel two hours down to Brisbane to play 12v12, <laughs> which was pretty much a training session. And, and sometimes you'd be 
um, filling in with um, players from other teams and you'd be mixing with players from other teams. It just didn't didn't quite feel right. Um, but there was nothing you could do about it. Um, you know, you were going as a player, you'd get nowhere if you want. You know, you were moaning, you were negative, and you and you played bad. You just wouldn't play, and it'd be a miserable time up there. So for me, um, you know, I just made sure I was positive at all times. I was a senior player at the time, so making sure I, I led the young boys down um, down that way, and just did the best I could with whatever situation we had, and I thought I did that, and. Um, and handled it pretty pretty good, but no doubt it was it was very odd and and um, and different. And Darren mentioned the goal in the semi final before. Um, I know myself quite often I'd be seeing a mark taken outside fifty, and I just see you at the back, just just looking for the handball off the back of the mark there. I know I'd be almost out of the seat waiting for waiting for the kick to be launched. Did you feel the crowd sort of lift when you were running down the ground ready to receive that handball, just knowing what was possibly coming? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that ball that I kicked, that was just full of anger and just full of, like, all the pressure throughout the whole year. That was it. I was not passing that ball at all. So as soon as as soon as Butts gave it to me, I just... just let go, launched it, and um, yeah, got onto it really well. So yeah, and no, I was really happy. My kids were happy too, and it was a really, it was a special moment because my kids are and my wife were up in the stands as well. So I, I was glad I was able to have one more highlight before my career finished. I guess a um, a, a final one from me. So uh, I guess a little bit about your your footy journey now. You're, you're playing down in Port Ferry, but but also. Um, I guess a two-parter on the Saints. One in the sense, was there opportunity elsewhere potentially where other clubs at least spoke to you and said, look, we'll consider this, but but maybe again, the list reductions. And uh, do you look at St Kilda now with, with Patton injured, with Caulfield out of form, with Geary out of the side for most of the season and think, geez, if I, if I was there, I probably would have played every game. Yeah, that hurts. I'm not going to lie. That, that it, it really sucks seeing you know the Saints lose some quality halfbackers but knowing that I could have been there for depth it just really frustrates me but you know there's obviously nothing I can do about that but um yeah when, when it all sort of happened and I got the call from the Saints um you know there wasn't a heap of um movement from other clubs I mean I might have had a call from GWS but nothing came of that and um you know the um, I'm not going to lie. I, I thought there, there'd be a little bit more and, and there'd be maybe an opportunity on another list, but maybe COVID, maybe not. I'm not too sure. Maybe my age, I'm, I'm not too sure, but it, it didn't quite go my way in the end. And yeah, unfortunately, I, I had to just move on. Yeah, you're obviously playing down at, at Port Ferry and, and you're in pretty good nick. You're looking at, at some of the stats and some of the highlights that, that we kind of see every, yep. every couple of weeks. Um, any any thoughts of a nomination in the mid-season draft? <laughs> um, look, uh, unless a team is desperate for me um, and they get on to me early, there's probably not... No, I probably wouldn't nominate. Um, you know, I just... I, I don't want to put my name out there and, you know, people are looking through the articles and saying, you know, just give up, mate. You're, you're, your career's done. So, you know, unless someone came early in the background and said, hey, you keen... Then no, I'll, I'll probably I'll probably wouldn't nominate, and then it's probably probably time to move on. 
But in saying that, you're right. My body is in good nick. Um, and if if a team does need experience and, and a player that can come in and play straight away, then maybe. Yeah, just to finish off, have you got have you got a moment or a just just something that you look back on and think, yep, that that was my time and that's what the club was for me, and um, basically something that just sticks in your mind every time you think about being at the club. I think, um, especially throughout the Richo era, I think it was the way they embraced my family and my kids is something that I'll always remember. Um, he was such a, Richo was such a family man, but the way my kid was involved at the club, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but my, you know, Jet has been in some of the club songs, um, you know, win or lose, he was in the rooms and, and having a, having to kick around, making everyone smile um, and just, um, yeah, just re- making some really, really good memories. Um, I've got some really good photos with my kids and it's something that I'll always remember. So, um, yeah, I'm really grateful that they were able to share, um, you know, a really big part of that journey with me at the Saints. And, yeah, at the time, the Saints really embraced my kids. So last, last one from me, and, and I, I want you to settle a little bit of an, an office debate that I've, I've got in, in my work. Uh, if you had to pick one, who are you choosing, Luke Hodge or Nick Rewald? Oh, wow. That's a, that's, a t- that's a tough one. They're both champions in their own right. <laughs> and, you know, I, it's, it's such an honour to, to be able to play with both Um Oh man, that's a, that's a tough one, Nick. Um, I'm not I'm not too sure. Um, I don't know. There was just I, I I love Luke Hodge. There's just there's just something about him. He was just um, such a warrior out in the field, um, and just you you just knew what you were going to get from him each week. He'd put his heart and soul in into the game. But um, so I'd probably say Luke Hodge. But in saying that, um, yeah. Uh, both Hall of Famers and to say I, I play with Nick Rewald as well is something, you know, I'll pinch myself for the rest of my career, uh, rest of my life. And to be able to tell my kids I played with those two champions is, yeah, it's it's really special. We, we might have to cut that first half out of the... Oh, man, that, that was a hard one. I knew that <laughs> Football's a game of uh, emotion and passion. And I think uh, one thing that could sort of sum you up is that every time you received a hand pass, 55, 60 metres <laughs> from Fowler, the reaction from the St Kilda crowd, I think, was uh, electric. And uh, you, you played some fine footy for the club, a, a wonderful career, particularly for someone drafted in the 70s, as we say, to play 165 games, over 100 with the club. Uh, you gave tremendous service. And we are, we wish you all the best at Port Ferry. It's a, it's a, a lovely football club, a lovely part of the it world. Is. and. Hopefully, you just keep snagging them from long range down there. <laughs> no worries, boys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, um, yeah, that's one that got away. Um, yeah, we, uh, I just had the players in and just had a chat about, you know, the things that we want to do as a team and... There were so many things to like about that game, except for finishing our plays. And um, you know, when you have more inside fifties, you win the clearances, you out tackle Geelong. Um, there's some really good signs. Um, 
but at the end of the day, we didn't get it done, and that's something we need to work on. Um, we've probably done that a bit this year where we've had some opportunities to hit the scoreboard and score the goal and put teams under pressure. We've, you know, even last week against Gold Coast, we sort of let them in and they got out to a three-goal lead. So uh, the same thing's happening again. But, um, you know, tonight was, we were courageous, we were hard at it, but we just, we weren't polished. And, and that's the bit that we've got to get right. And, um, you know, for, for all our fans out there, it was, um, you know, we, we, if we bring that effort and intensity, we'll... We'll be winning a lot more than we lose, but um, we've still got to complete our plays. Shane Savage there and the voice of Brett Ratton. We look ahead to the Bulldogs. So significant changes to both sides since that elimination final from last year. Obviously, Marshall goes out. Hanbury played in that game. Patton uh, played in that game. Uh, Caulfield played in that game. Obviously, we wait to see if he gets named. Carlisle played in that game. Ditto. Uh, we wait to see if he's named. Um, also, Geary, who played in the VFL last week, as to whether he comes in as Sandringham got the job done last week. Uh, Zach Jones also played in that game, so he won't be there either. Um, and But for the Western Bulldogs, likewise, Tim English is out. Uh, Stephen Martin, who wasn't there last year, but he's on their list now, he, he's out. Josh Dunkley's out. Um, I think there's a couple of others that played in that game that are, that are out as well. Gardner, I think their defender is out of that side. And a couple of guys that were, were on their list last year, like Richards, uh, Jong and McLean are also still out of the side. So a few injuries to to both lineups, but for us, it's the Marshall change. So if Carlisle's fit, does he play? He missed VFL again last week with that uh, back issue. So do they go Carlisle or do they go McKernan or someone like that to play as the, uh, the, the second tall? Or do they just, I don't think they'd run Ryder one out. Um, and then do they make any other changes around that group? Um, like Geary, for example, for, for somebody, Nick, uh, how do you think they'll play it? If, if you're going to run Ryder one out, this is probably the week to do it, um, mm. which I'm, I'm not completely against. It's also not something that I would normally do you know, on a, a normal week. Um, but you know, I don't mind the idea of, you know, as long as, you know, if Crouch is good and, and, and he's good to go, um, you know, obviously he stays in, um, but I'd be considering the only change being potentially Marshall for Geary. Um, Geary, from all reports, got through really well last week in, in the twos with Sandy. Um, we know how dangerous he is. He matches up really well in a number of ways against the Dogs. He can either play that, that small defensive role that we've missed so much this year, um, especially with you know, last year we were blessed. We had Patton in amazing form. Um, just unbeatable in, in that small defensive role. Coffee and Hunter across halfback uh, were impenetrable against against the Dogs last year. He couldn't get past Coffee. He was one of our best. Um, and, and we had the luxury of being able to play Geary forward as a, kind of a defensive role on uh, on JJ and and um, Caleb Daniel, I think it was, he, he messed up on. Um, and, and he kicked a couple of really important goals. So so there's a few ways that we can use him. Um, and, and I think that he's just... I also, in a normal week, I would probably give him another week, another run in the twos, make sure he's good to go. You know, he's not a he's not a a young chook anymore. He's um he's getting up there, and and we know that he's had some issues with his health and and fitness and, and injuries and that sort of stuff. So you want to make sure that he's good to go. But you know, I think it's it's a really important one to to get the captain. And and you hear you hear the guys talk, and it feels like he still is the spiritual leader down at the club and the way that he gets around the boys and they all get around him. 
um, that he's really important to the squad. And, and this week against the Dogs in particular, really important for us structurally, um, either as that small forward that we haven't, that small defender that we haven't had all year, or as that defensive um, forward that, you know, that, that run from defence for the Dogs is really super important for them. And, and they get a huge amount of value out of those guys that, that you know, run and kick long out of defensive 50. Now, I think Wood's probably going to be definite out this week. I think he was he was injured out. in the first yeah, first couple of minutes in the game. So on a, another one of those unlucky players. Um, so that I mean, it's, that's a massive hole for them because um, he was yeah, starting to get back into a bit of good forms for them. So, um, yeah, that's a – think about how our forward line functioned last week with – except for the goal kicking, obviously. Um Losing a big forward, a big defender for them is a big hole to going up against us, um, especially when then they've all they've got to use Bruce, who's one of their big forwards as a ruckman. So as you're talking, and the having Ryder as that standalone ruckman against an inexperienced ruckman that they they have, um, and then I guess having a little bit of a rest every now and then, and putting a, say a Carlisle or. I mean, even someone like a Josh Battle, if Bruce is in there, but I'm sure Battle could handle that. Um, so it's mm. there's definite movement there that you don't need two experienced Ruckmans, uh, as good as it would be to have both there this week because he could dominate that area with the two of them. Um, I Riders, Riders, our key position there straight away. Looking at that, so um, yeah, if Matchups, you're sort of looking and going, yeah, we've we've got a lot of what they have covered. Um, it's just a matter of making sure that we we get out there and they play well. We get the wins in each position, uh, or as many positions as we possibly can. We know how much they love the ball in their hand. That, that that's the Bulldogs' football. They get the ball in their hand. They move the ball around. Got to chop them off. Got to basically. Stop them getting it. If basically you let them run free, they're going to run all over the top of you. So just just stopping that free ball getting out to a free player and make making them take risks. That's that's the, that's the big key there. Sort of we've we've got the height, we've got the players who can defend. Make them take risks because they love an easy kick. That that's as simple as it is against them. Um, so. Yeah, it's whether it's as you say, whether I don't know whether Carlo comes in to bolster a backline a bit, Geary comes in to play that small forward as he dominated in the semi final, in the in the elimination final. Sorry, um, it's yeah, it's a it's a few ways you can look at how going going about it to to manage to knock them off, and we know we can because for some reason we've had a a pretty good track record against them. Yeah, the feeling is that if you can break even with them in the midfield, that they would be obviously therefore gettable super team. Their, their ball movement's 
magnificent, as you said. Their midfield bats so deep. They go forward and kick goals. But like in the elimination final, because we dominated the ruck, we broke even in the middle and therefore had more weapons in other aspects of the ground. So if we could find a way to do that again um, by getting those matchups right and, and shutting things down. I mean, Mitch Wallace was another one that played in the elimination final that won't play this time, but that's by choice. He's been, you know, left out of the squad subject to whether they pick him, but he's been out for a fair chunk. So it's a very different team for both of us from, from that final. But fundamentally, what both sides are trying to do is the same thing. So Bulldogs have, have clearly taken a big step forward. We haven't yet done that, but there is potential for us to do that. So uh, a side we match up all right on, but a side that is in super form, as we know. So going to have to do everything right. Fingers crossed they can execute. They did a lot right against Geelong. If they repeat the performance against Geelong, you would anticipate that they would take more chances and therefore win the game. But it's about tapping into that and repeating that performance, which, as we said during the week, was about 90% spot on. So get that right. Uh, the rest of it should fall into place. But we look forward to Saturday night. Good luck wherever you may be watching it. If you are heading along to the venue, I think it is a reciprocal home game. So good luck to all of those that do uh, venture along and uh, hopefully we'll all be there as well. But uh, good luck for this week. Hopefully it's five and five and we can square the ledger. Go Saints.